This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Bet and Breakfast, a podcast from BetSided. Hey, does anybody want coffee? Who wants coffee? It's sports betting for everyone. I'm here to tell you today that the New York Yankees season is done. Stick a fork in them, it's over. Lamar Jackson, I can't believe he's that low on the list that he's my bet for sure at this point in the season. Early leans, best bets, props, parlays. If you can bet it, we've got it. I'm taking the over on this. If you look at the last five games, this is a game waiting for points to be scored. Tom Brady, I think everyone's heard of him. If Brady puts up the numbers, they have the 10th easiest schedule the rest of the way. Get in, get out, and you're ready to go. I think they're going to have to give him the award if Dallas ends up locking up this division and possibly even that number one seed. And here are your hosts, Ben Heisler, Ian McMillan, Peter Dewey, Donovan Smoot, and Reed Wallet. What comes before anything? What have we always said is the most important thing? Breakfast family. I thought you meant the things you need. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another weekend edition of Bet and Breakfast. I am Donald Smoot. Got my boy Reed Wallach with me. Oh, you know, over the next hour, we're gonna gonna hit everything across the weekend. We're gonna look back at the NBA playoffs, look forward at the NBA playoffs. We got a whole bunch of NFL draft talks, some best bets from everywhere in the sports world. Reed, what's going on, man? I'm doing all right, but let's not bury the lead here because we went on daily bet slip yesterday, five o'clock, which everyone should be tuning into because we swept the board six and oh, clean sweep. We gave our guy Peter jumped on the stream. He gave out a prop basically, and we <clears throat> we agreed we rode with that. So clean sweep there. So I'm feeling good right now, and now I feel like we're, we'll get to best bets. But I'm feeling pretty good, and you know, happy we could dive into some NFL draft talk because. We kind of were talking about – this is, like, funny. Like, we had, like, Friday's show. We talked about a few things, and now we're just coming back, basically. The next morning, we could just recap what we talked about last night. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild, wild first two days of the NFL draft. You've had a lot of movement. And so I think we're, when everybody's saying, like, this is the craziest draft, it's weird. I think it's not necessarily crazy because of what's going on, but because everybody kind of had, like, their predictions for it and – once you get after like the top three, nobody's been right about anything mm-hmm. and everything's just gone haywire. So, so I want to start though, right on that same subject, what has surprised you most about the first three rounds of the NFL draft? Yeah, I, I kind of hinted at it yesterday, but it seems like teams are just getting smarter, right? Like it, it feels like almost like not that teams are directly reading like angry NFL Twitter about like bad decisions and the analytics and all that. But like, it feels like teams are starting to wise up and, you know, sticking to their guns, going with the best player on their board. Like we saw no running backs in the first round. I feel like we've kind of realized that that's a wasted draft pick. I know there are like rumors of Brees Hall, like teams are putting more premiums on the positions where you actually build winning football teams, offensive line, cornerbacks. We saw that. And then, you know, quarterbacks falling into the third round, no second round picks. If these teams don't have, you know, round one, round two grades on these guys, they're willing to let them fall. I think that whether they're right or wrong, I think it shows that teams are at least making more sound decisions. They're not forcing the issue, which I feel like we've seen in the past. Yeah. And I listen, I don't want to give them credit, like too much credit for having common sense. And so I'm not going to say that it's like smart, but I will say like, it's about time that you guys just stand up for yourselves. You yeah. Know? Like you, these are, these are grown men 
running billion dollar industries and letting Twitter and, you know, and NFL draft nerds dictate that, you know, dictate their picks. Like if you don't think a guy is good, don't take him. And so like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really shocked. And I told you this yesterday that I thought Malik Willis was going to go off the board in the second round. I was shocked that he didn't go. I, first off that he fell past the first 10 picks that Minnesota passed on him, that Seattle had two picks and yeah. him. I thought That's when you knew it was going to be a while. The, yeah. when, when Seattle passed him at 44, you're like, this might, he might be here for a little bit. Yeah. Cause it's like, they, ha- they have drew lock as their quarterback. Like there's nothing that they have right now that's saying, Oh, we need a win now. Maybe DK Metcalf. But at that point, like, the receiver's just there to sell tickets. So you're not actually building a winning football team in that division if you don't have a quarterback. And Drew Locke's not going to be that guy. So, like, why are you not taking a quarterback when you have back-to-back picks to start the second round? So that, that for me, was very, very shocking because at the start of all of this, Willis was at least minus 200. I know he had several lines elsewhere, but yeah, minus 200 at least to be the first quarterback off the taking. And he, you know, Minus 200 to be the first quarterback taken off the board, he ended up being the third, right? He goes after Ritter, who goes to the to the Falcons. So that's a huge, huge drop for, for Malik Willis. I think he's in a good spot, though, in Tennessee behind Tannehill. Do, would you agree? Yeah, I think that, again, I, I like his over-under was like 10 and a half or something. I just think quarterbacks are so polarizing that, like, we're going to forget like by next year that he was a third. Like it's a kind of irrelevant. Like it's like the story now, but like, again, I feel like it's all media driven. It's all like this, like hyped up thing. But again, I I read reports that some teams didn't even have a first round grade on him. So to see him fall, I wasn't as surprised as other people. Cause I mean, I'm not like the biggest believer, but him going to Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill might be on his way out. This team, you know, they trade A.A. Brown, the Titans. They might be heading into a bit of a decline. They may cut ties with Ryan Tannehill in the near future. So, like, if you're the Titans now in the third round, cap hits much smaller, much less of a commitment. Why not take a shot, Malik Willis? Like, it's all um, in the eye of the beholder. So, I think the Titans, they took a worthwhile risk. I wouldn't even call it a risk, a worthwhile draft pick on someone like Malik Willis with tantalizing upside. But at the same time, they didn't have to burn pick 25 or whatever they ended up selecting in the first round. That's unnecessary. In the third round, it's much different. So I think it's a great landing spot for him. I think that, honestly, where all the quarterbacks ended up going, it was a little bit later than expected. I think they all made out pretty good. You see Corral in Carolina, Ritter in Atlanta, Malik Willis in Tennessee. That's kind of all the teams were were mocked for quarterbacks. They end up getting the guys that they were linked to, just they get them for much cheaper, and you know they could also build on their team elsewhere. So I think for those teams, they actually made out pretty good. Yeah, so is and so I'm thinking about it. Did Pittsburgh actually make a mistake then? Like, do you, do you think that the Steelers are the one who made the mistake because they're the ones who reached on the quarterback at at 20 in a class that's not necessarily like quarterback driven? I think Pittsburgh made that pick. Pick it, pick it. Uh, I think Pittsburgh may have made that pick because they they're a little bit more cap top, more cap strapper in the salary cap. And they're planning on – because Kenny Pickett, everyone, the the report on him was he's the most pro-ready. I don't necessarily agree, but he's the most ready to play. He's 24 years old. He's ready to go now. So maybe Pittsburgh put a premium on someone like Pickett that 
maybe next year he's coming, maybe even this year, middle of this year, he's coming in and playing and we're expecting him to deliver. So maybe that's why Pittsburgh reached on him. Because if you think about it, you get that fifth-year option with a first-round pick. So maybe there's more of a premium for Pittsburgh to say, we're actually expecting him to be our guy. He's not going to be a project. So we don't want to wait. We want to get that guy. And, you know, you get that fifth-year option, you're going to have the option of keeping him under control for another year. So reach, maybe, probably. But, again, like sussing through the logic, I actually kind of see what Pittsburgh, at least what I think they were trying to do. Yeah. That that makes that makes a little bit of sense. I want to switch gears from the NFL draft to back to our clean sweep from last night. We yep. hit we hit Grizzlies money line, Timberwolves first quarter money line, John Morant under 27 and a half points, D'Angelo Russell under 16 and a half points, uh Desmond Bain, which was a pick from Ben, um, over 20 and a half points. Uh, Did he get he went over 20, right? Yes. 20 and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he went over 20 and a half. Then we had Tyus Jones over 13 and a half pra. We that's seven. Like, I'm still going. Yeah, like, you, you know what I'm saying? We, we perfectly capped that game. We also kind of capped how it was going to go at the end. You know, close game, last minute or two going down to the wire. Obviously, Grizzlies win. I mean, I don't want to say, like, before we get into like the next segment, but really tough, like, series for Carl Anthony Towns. Just like, He's really taken his lumps. Like I feel like he's looked like an idiot like ten different times in this series. Whether it's the like one two, yeah, talking on the bench, you know, frowning. Like I saw post game, he was like kissing to the crowd. Like, dude, you lost. Like you lost. Like, like what are you doing? Like, you didn't. You also lost because I don't want to blame him because it's not just him. It, it was a team effort. But what is he doing sitting out along the perimeter? He had Dylan Brooks on him in the fourth quarter. Like, go get a bucket, dude. You're seven feet tall. What are you doing? He's hey, like, I think this will be a learning experience for him because I think he's super talented, but this is a rough go. Because I don't even count like his first playoff series where he got like smoked by, I'm pretty sure it was like the Houston, like yeah. the Harden Houston teams. This was like his first real playoff series and he had a few good games, but like overall, he has some like learning to do and like growing up. I feel like. So I've I have a couple things on on Minnesota, and I don't I don't want to get like, so narrative y about it, you know. Like, but like he does have like he was a young guy in a playoff series, and he looked like a young guy in a playoff series. I, I'll I'll tell you this: I will very gladly get get very narrative y uh, on on the Timberwolves. One, the whole world allowed it, uh, and like I know I know we got jokes off and stuff. But there were some people that were praising them for throwing a parade after beating the Clippers in, in the play-in. That whole thing was ridiculous. The way that they, the way that they <laughs> celebrated. That that's one. Two. Cat told everybody, "Oh, I'm the best big man shooter ever," and then won the three-point contest. And everyone's like, "Hmm, maybe Cat's maybe right." Tricked himself into thinking that he could take 35 footers like he's Steph or Dame. Yeah. When again, you have Dylan Brooks on you, and you're seven feet. If you don't turn around. And post like that, up, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's the dude at 24 Hour Fitness at LA Fitness. We just stand around. And you're just like, dude, come, like, like everybody Go else, bucket, man. Everybody here is is five nine, five ten. You're six four. Yeah, no, Go, I agree. Go, go get a bucket, right? That there's there's that. Two, I I also think that because he's the best player, 
we're kind of looking at him to be like, okay, like I need you to drive the bus. I need you to to push this thing forward. He's not that guy. That's Anthony Edwards. A- Anthony yeah. Edwards is the guy that's going to push this team forward and kind of like be that vocal leader for them. And for Cat, he really just shouldn't say anything ever again. Like the we in Minnesota <laughs> now, dog. That trying to turn his voice, you yeah, know, turn his voice deep mid interview, crazy. Move. Yeah, it was a t- too much too much spotlight on him. Crazy. But I I think. You make a great point, though, about Anthony Edwards, and I don't want to say, like, trade cat or something like that, but it does feel like – like, I'm – I Anthony Edwards was – you know, obviously was the number one pick, but everyone seemed to love LaMelo. I was always on the Anthony Edwards train, and he has upside that, like, top ten player in the league. Like, he could be on that, like, Jason Tatum fast track. So the question becomes, like, do – like – what happens to Cat? Because like I feel like this is a team like that's going to quickly come to a crossroads like faster than I think we think. Because like there's no doubt this team is like incredibly talented. They have a good coach in Chris Finch. It's like okay, is Cat the guy or is this Anthony Edwards? And we have to maybe find another guy to be like a Robin to Anthony Edwards. I think that very quickly. Like, the Timberwolves feel a lot like the Hawks last year. I know they got bounced in the first round. They didn't go on a run. But, like, in terms of, like, young, talented team with, like, a lot of guys, like D'Angelo Russell, like, even Jared Vanderbilt and uh, Jaden McDaniels. I mean, this is a very young, upstart team who's – you're even more talented than Atlanta, you could argue. Who's going to be the guy now going forward? I think that's what we look forward to as we, you know, close the book on the Timberwolves. But – it was a it was a fun series. I wouldn't say it was the most well played series, but it was a fun series. And now the Grizzlies they turn to Golden State, which I think is going to be definitely a different test than uh, Minnesota. It's going it's going to be a a very di- different test. And I'll, I'll say this this would be my last thing on the Timberwolves, and then we can get to to you know our next segment. But one, I think D'Angelo Russell might have to be the one who goes because I obviously he's not as talented as as Edwards and Cat. Expensive too. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's our Timberwolves referendum, but there's, there's what, there's eight teams left now. And so I kind of want to reset the NBA playoffs and reset everything that we've done, um, all of our picks and all of our takes, because some of our teams, not to take a shot at you, are no longer playing in the, in the playoffs. So we have eight teams left. Who's real? Who's fake? We're going to, we're going to play fade or future. And but we're got we're gonna take it from like a series by series perspective. So I want to start out with the first series. It's gonna start tomorrow. Bucks Celtics. Milwaukee will be without Chris Middleton for the entire series. He still has the MCL injury, and so it's gonna be Giannis versus Tatum in this insane Boston defense. What do you see Game One looking like? What do you see this entire series looking like? So this series, um, 2-2 in the regular season between the two teams, um, it's going to be tough for Milwaukee without Middleton. And, you know, I said this um, before the playoffs started, Milwaukee's defense is a bit concerning. It's a step up from Brooklyn's, and it just feels like the chips are falling Boston's way because I want to see a real elite defense get this Boston offense because I'm still not all the way sold on it. I just don't know if Milwaukee is going to have – the offensive firepower to keep up with this Boston team. I mean, it's going to be just Giannis, but Boston has guys to throw at Giannis. Like who's going to be the secondary guy to go? Like, is it going to, it's going to have to be a Drew Holiday series. You're going to need to see 
someone like Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton get hot, I find myself struggling to find an answer from like, I'm not rushing to lay Boston at like minus 200, but it's going to be, it's going to have to be like a Giannis superhero performance for them to get there. I think I like Boston in game one. So if that price jumps close to like Milwaukee plus like 275, 300, that will probably be enough for me to jump in just like at like a pure numbers perspective. Milwaukee always stinks in game one, but I will just say long-term things are really just opening up for Boston. You know, you get Brooklyn while they're down and they're all out of sorts. You're getting Milwaukee wounded. You're looking at the other side, and Bede has a broken face. We haven't even spoken about that. Um, Kyle Lowry might be out for a little bit. Jimmy Butler, had he missed the closeout game, game five. So, like, just from a pure health perspective, this looks like it's breaking Boston's way. Obviously getting Robert Williams back. I like Boston in game one. I'm probably going to look to play Milwaukee in the series. Maybe, like, that like plus two and a half series spread plus one and a half. Maybe that'll be my luck. Yeah. I'm looking. So right now I'm looking to see. Um, so I'm, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm on Milwaukee plus four and a half for game one. I okay. So you I, like Milwaukee. I, yeah. I like Milwaukee right. in, in game one. I'm, a, I'm still trying to decide whether or not I want to be a little bit aggressive and take them on, on the money line, but I will be playing them plus four and a half. Interesting. Plus, like, what do you, what do you say? So, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this. So they're plus, they're plus 175 for the series. And as great as Boston's defense was, and even as out of sorts and as bad as Brooklyn played, they only every game was was fairly close, right? Like Boston won these games by by an average combined of four and eighteen half points. Yeah, combined eighteen points. Right, combined eighteen points, and you get these sweep. They were down big in game in game two because Tatum yep. had a bad first half. Brooklyn, they they gave up a really, really big performance to Kyrie in the first one. Game three was also very close. Also, game one, they they, you know, crazy, crazy sequence yeah. of events. Tatum, Tatum game winner. Then you have the big comeback in game two. Game game three is kind of just like it was a win, but it was also very close. And then game four, Brooklyn was still very much in it towards the end of, of the game. So I don't think that like I don't think that Boston's defense is just so like steel curtain right now that Milwaukee can't get a few games. And I think that as a team, cohesive, they are more cohesive than than what the Nets are. I think they have the better player in Giannis. And also defensively, I think I think Drew on Tatum is going to be very, very interesting. I think that's going to I think that's going to be great because if if you talk about what um, what Boston is going to have to do, right? They're going to have to make the wall against Giannis or put 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 Time Lord or Al Horford on it. I'm I I have faith in those guys that they could do a solid job, right? Like they're obviously going to be better than Chicago, but this is still Giannis we're talking about, and I think like if the doubles start to come, Giannis's passing has. You you see, like he's a willing passer, so I don't yeah. think that they're going to be able to just stifle everybody. And like you said, it's going to have to be a big Drew series as well because somebody's going to have to pick up the scoring. But I do think that like the series is going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think, e- even with Middleton out. Yeah, you. Know, that's honestly really good point. I Boston's defense is that good, but again, it's the offense wasn't able, and I mean, obviously no one like watched that series as intently as me. Game three and four, Boston had – I mean, they answered every Brooklyn run, but 
their offense wasn't able to like run away from that game. Like their their offense was good enough to beat an out of sorts Nets team, but it wasn't like they separated and they ran away and they blew them out. Like their offense actually like kept them just afloat. So it's actually a good point. And you know, maybe you kind of swung me. I just Milwaukee's always terrible in game one. So I'm probably either staying off that, and that's why I'm gonna look at the Milwaukee after I think they lose game one. But that's honestly a good point about Boston's offense. I don't know if Milwaukee's the defense that can really kind of exploit how the offense, I still am just not buying it. But all very good points. And I think it's going to be a physical series. I think it's going to be a long series one way or another. And, you know, I think Milwaukee, you're playing for a split here in Boston, trying to just kind of lengthen this series out and hope you have the best player on the floor and Giannis that could just win it. Because Tatum yeah. was the best player on the floor in the Brooklyn Brooklyn series. Yeah, and and that's that's like you know that's exactly my point. Is that as bad as Durant played in those first two games, they easily, were still there. Easily, Brooklyn could have been up 2-0. As at like they yeah. could they would right there in that series they could have been up 2-0. And Durant was playing all types of outside of himself. So I think that like Giannis. Twist the knife. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but like Giannis, Giannis is. Giannis is going to go and he's going to get his 30, 10, and 5. I want to see how much Boston is going to be able to hold up because if that 30, 10, and 5 turns into 38, 13, and 7, right, which we know that Giannis can do, which is just crazy numbers. It's just like yeah. with video games. Do that in sleep. That's, yeah. And that's what – I don't remember which stream we were, we were talking about it on, but Middleton last year when the Nets played the Bucs, Middleton scares me more than Giannis because you know Giannis is getting his. It's like built into – their score like Giannis is getting 30 15 and 8 like it's just done now where do you get the rest and Middleton was always the guy who scared me because he has some weird playoff clunkers but he also like goes inferno easy yeah and he's he just a fucking in the finals. finals yeah so is Drew Holiday gonna fill that offensive role you're gonna need your Bobby Portis game you're gonna need I the honestly I think Brooke Lopez I think Brooke Lopez can hang on the floor in this series just by the construction of Boston's roster I think you're going to put Giannis on Al Horford and, you know, obviously have Giannis going in and out. Horford's been a good floor spacer, but you give up those Daniel Tice threes. Time Lord doesn't play outside the paint. So I think Brooke Lopez isn't going to get played off the floor like maybe some other matchups, like a Brooklyn matchup. That would probably be a bad matchup for Brooke Lopez. But I I think Milwaukee can hang in this series just because I'm still not all the way sold on Boston's offense. That being said, a lot of things are breaking Boston's way. You know what I mean? It just feels like it's like destiny is kind of on their side. I, but I, I do I, lean I lean towards a close series, maybe like a series spread, like Milwaukee plus like one and a half is kind of tough. Maybe lose game one and come in on Milwaukee plus two and a half games, like a little juice. I kind of like, I think Milwaukee kind of, I think this series goes at least six. I, I, I'm, I would take Bucks and seven. That's that's you think they go into Boston. That's a tough one too because they don't have the home court. That's a, Boston has a legitimate home court. I, I I know I'm taking Bucks in seven. That is my interesting. I guess seven. for for the sake of making a take, I'll go Celtics in seven. But I do think Milwaukee's very capable of winning the series. Yeah, there's a there's a second game tomorrow, uh, which is actually a very very fast turnaround with the Grizzlies, who we were talking about earlier. And the Golden State Warriors, who have like just they've woken up 2016 high school Donovan and just like the 
the amount of fun that they look like they're having this entire series, even though that the last two games have been kind of tough. We have Warriors Grizzlies game one. Warriors are minus 260 for the series. Grizzlies, even the, the number two seed, even with home court advantage, plus 210, right? Plus 210 to, to win the series. I think a lot of people have been turned off by Memphis based off the horrific execution they've shown over the last six games. I think that this is going to be a fun series. I think it's either going to be a hard five or an easy six for Golden State. Um, I, I'm one of those people who have been turned off by the execution. Yeah. From Memphis. I think it's kind of clear that like their youth is showing. And I think, I think Golden State gets them. Okay. So here's just like one thought. Cause I agree with you. The Warriors should win this series pretty easy, but don't you find it a little strange that, and I don't want to bring in another series, but the Warriors are like just as big or bigger favorites than the Suns are to beat the Mavs. And I get like Booker has the hamstring injury and everything. And the Mavs may have the best player in the series, but I just find it a little strange that they're going on the road and like, no one's giving the Grizzlies a chance. Like, do you get like, it? I, it's a quick turnaround. And I know the Grizzlies offense has some serious concerns on how they can execute, but don't you think, that this series is a much better matchup for John Morant than the Timberwolves series was. Yes, it is. Like, well, I, I, well I'm not. I'm not sure. I, here's here's what I say. I think that I think that Ja will be able to get into the lane a, a little bit, a little bit more. But I also think that like they could throw they can throw Gary Payton at him. They can throw Wiggins at him. Draymond's obviously going to be waiting there to like poke him. Yeah, 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 like, like there's there's going to be stuff waiting for Ja. If they can figure out, I think the way that that Golden State attacks him, Loki is the same way that teams used to do a young Steph Curry, which is, yo, you're gonna you're gonna come into this pick and roll action, and you're gonna have to play both ways. Like we're gonna yeah. force you to play defense because we saw like, yo, Patrick Beverly was getting in the Patrick Beverly was getting in the mm-hmm. lane every single time on job. What what's gonna happen when it's Steph, right? When it's Wiggins that's trying to make that move. When it's Jordan Poole that's trying to make that move. That's how I think Golden State gets them. So that I, again, I, I'm not going to say Memphis is winning that series. I just think that the last series, I don't think was a great, like I, it wasn't a great matchup for Memphis. I think that job may have a few more advantages in this series. And also like the Warriors beat a team that like we knew was terrible outside Jokic. Like they just they destroyed them. I I get it, and they looked amazing. They looked like like is this almost the time? Like I'm kind of thinking I I I might want to take Memphis in Game One. Like it, the Warriors. I think they're like one point road favorites or pick them or something. Like it, so so the Warriors are the Warriors are minus one point five on on the road. They're minus one twenty five on the money line. Memphis it's a really is, quick- Memphis is plus one hundred five. It's a really quick turnaround. I also kind of like the over just looking at it, 219 and a half. I just feel like that's very low based on how the last series went and also how the Warriors series went. I just feel like that's a little too low. But it just feels like Golden State is getting like a ton of like credit for beating a team that like we knew they were going to beat. You, know, It's like we thought it before the series, then we saw it. But, like, nothing should really change, right? Because we thought it beforehand. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it's a confirmation bias. So, like, the way I'm thinking of it is, like, I want to find a way to fade Golden State. I just feel like they're, like, getting way too much respect now. 
and listen, I this isn't me saying they're bad or anything. It's just like I don't think they're as great as like they're being made out to be. It's kind of similar to Boston. Like these two teams are being made out as these dominant world beaters, but like I'm still not all the way sold based on their first round performance. You know what well, I mean? I, I I understand. I understand what you're saying. I, and I'm, I'm not saying the Warriors are gonna lose. I don't want yeah, that to get twisted. Yeah. It's more just like I feel like they're getting they're almost like overrated now. There's okay, so so I have a couple things for you. So one, honestly, I'm kind of shocked that the game one line is not more in the Warriors' favor. Um, I mean, you look at the at the series prices minus two sixty, then you look and it's basically like a pick 'em, or like you know it's close to it. So I think that's I think that that's very close for game one. I understand Memphis has the home court advantage, but mm-hmm. again, they just played like they just played a very physical series with Minnesota, have a one day turnaround and then have to play again, still have to travel back to Memphis. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the line is, is that, is that close? So that's one, two, I think for the warriors, we've been waiting since literally since Steph broke the three point record and he went into that slump. We've been waiting from that moment to now to see them turn back into what we saw at the beginning of the year where it was them in Phoenix neck and neck, and they're like, oh, well, these two teams are just going to run away with the regular season, and it's not even going to be close. And whenever they play in the Western Conference Finals, that's going to be like the actual finals. And so seeing them turn it on and be as explosive, even if it is against Denver, everyone's like, okay, they are still – like that version of that team, it's still there. So, yeah. I, so I can go and start to feel confident again that – that like what I saw at the beginning of the year where Steph is going crazy, where all the offense is, and they have Clay Thompson back now. Everything is finally like put back together. So I can so I can like, you know, revive my fandom from the beginning of the year. That's where I think a lot of the confidence is coming from. Not necessarily like blowing out Denver. Because I don't think yeah. about that. I don't know. I just I feel like this line is like really wide. I don't know. That's just me. But like in terms of game one. Maybe I'll be too – I don't know. I'm going to think about it, but, like, I lean Memphis game one. Definitely the over. I'm probably going to play the over. Just, again, feels like it's going to be another – best bet for, for game Why? one. Because I Do you think – you think Golden State is? No, I think I think the over is – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I – you know, obviously Memphis's offense isn't as execution-based. I just – I don't think it's going to be this – series against Golden State is going to be as physical. I think both offenses are going to have their way a little bit more. And I think everyone's kind of dumbing down on Memphis's offense. I mean, listen, those totals are at like 230 or so. Meanwhile, Golden State's offense is firing. They just had like the most efficient series ever. So maybe they cool down. But like, again, we're going under, we're going like beneath 220. I've been playing unders the entire first round. It just seems like that's a bit of an overreaction. I want to find, while we transition, I want to find what the, totals were in the other games this yeah. year this season yeah no and I I, I I got you I'll give you some time on that I'm very I'm very curious for for the Warriors though because this is a team that lost to the Grizzlies two years ago um in in the playing game and Ja had like Ja had close to 40 I think in that game he just he went ballistic so I'm very curious to see how that goes I want to see if Jaron Jackson is going to be able to stay on the floor as well because if he's not there and that room pre- – if Jared Jackson isn't on the floor or if Brandon Clark can't give you solid minutes and Steven Adams has to play, yo, Curry – Steph is cooking Steven Adams all day every day and they're going to do the same exact thing that they did last night. Clark could hang and that's – Clark could hang. I mean, he like won – he like basically won that yeah. game last night. So yeah. I, I like Clark. I think he can he, hang. 
he's he's gonna have to stay. Both of the bigs are gonna have to stay on the floor. They're gonna need a mobile big to do that. Yeah. If we're talking about bigs, you know, to stay on the floor, one of them who's not gonna be on the floor in game one is Joel Embiid. He, like you said it's earlier, right. has a has a broken face. Um, <laughs> it's it's very it's very tough because he broke his face when the Sixers were up twenty nine with four minutes to play in the closeout game. And now he is out indefinitely with a broken orbital bone. He has also has a mild concussion. And so the Heat are huge, huge favorites. Obviously. Yeah, like pushing push like minus 400, 500. So, yeah. yeah. This is this is not shaking up to be to be a good you know situation for for Philadelphia. I know like Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry was out for Game Five. Jimmy Butler was out for Game Five, but the 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 Butler injury didn't seem to be you know too bad. It seemed like his knee was just feeling off, so they they sat him. He's he's probably going to be back for Game One. I, I I would expect him to be back for Game One, and if Butler's there, especially at home. I assume you're taking Miami, right? Yeah, I I got on Miami like the second the line came out because they're just a terrible matchup for Philly, in my opinion. They have got they have guys that could switch onto Harden. They have bigs that could make him beads. I mean, forget his face. How about his torn ligaments in his hand? I mean, this guy's like an operation board at this point. There's so many things wrong with him. So, you know, I obviously got in like way good. I think that. You know, you need to wait to hear how long Embiid's going to be out. I think it's a minimum of five days, so he's just missing game one. But either way, I thought this Miami series was going to be a really tough one for Philly based on Embiid's injury. Also, just, again, the rotation of Miami is just a really, you know, their ability to get guys on Harden. I think this is, I think Harden's going to have another terrible series. This is good. Just add this to the list of bad James Harden series because – Listen, Toronto made their run, but it was almost like they just tried really hard. They didn't have any matchup advantages, whereas this Miami series, Bam Adebayo, I know he's been a little banged up, but he's going to have a ton of advantages. I know Embiid's a really big haul, but Bam's going to be able to stretch the floor a little bit. They're going to be able to run shooters around. I just You can't hide Harden on the floor. Maxie's going to be undersized against pretty much any matchup he's in. I just think this is a tough spot, you know, if this team turns to Thibel, then that's another guy you don't have to guard on the other side of the floor. This is a really tough matchup for Philly. So I like Miami. Wait to see the Embiid injury. And, um, you know, I think you could play Miami, you know, minus two and a half games. I think they win this one gentleman sweep style. I, I, I agree with you. I think this is a five-game series for, for Miami. Um, I think in game one, whatever the spread is, uh, I'm taking Miami. Up eight. I'm I'm taking Miami. I, I'm playing Miami up to double digits just because the so the problem that that we saw with Philly in those two games that they lost against Toronto is that I, obviously like Embiid was hurt, but he was still getting twenty and ten. Like he was still doing mm. his thing. Harden can't shoot, and Maxi turned into a player who couldn't shoot either. That thirty-eight point explosion that he had in Game One was that that just wasn't there. And cool. and so yeah, so if you're looking at what the Heat were able to do to Trey Young in terms of, hey, we're going to trap you every single time, or you're going to switch from Kyle Lowry guarding you to P.J. Tucker guarding you to Jimmy Butler guarding you to Bam. Like, there's – That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, like, this, the the ability to switch and then either blitz on the pick and roll and get the ball out of his hands, they can do that. They can do that to Harden, 
if they do that to Maxi, they're going to overwhelm him just because they're they're bigger and stronger than him. So I don't know where like like are they turning to to Danny Green and Tobias Harris to come save yeah. them? They like I I think I think two and a half games you kind of have to take that in terms of like the series price because there's just nothing. I don't without Embiid, there's nothing that Philly can do to win this series and be competitive. Philly and, and, also, there's, and there's absolutely no way that Doc Rivers is out coaching Spolster. Yeah, Philly doesn't strike me as a team that if they go down three one, you're getting like a big effort to like. They don't. They yeah. don't strike me as like a resilient punch. Like and honestly, like you gotta feel for Embiid because like he just can't stay healthy ever, and like obviously like. That's a forget the ligaments and the torn ligaments. It's like, you know, an elbow end of game, why he's in, whatever. But like, tough break for him that he just can't stay healthy. But this team just doesn't strike me as like rallying the troops in Miami game five. They're down 3 1. I just think this is, you know, we'll see how long he's out for it. If I had to bet Embiid will only miss one game, he'll try and gut through it. But I mean, the guy is just going to be so banged up. It's going to have to be harder. And this is a terrible matchup for the new James Harden. Dude, if they are down 3-1, everybody everybody else might be like, all right, like, listen, how are we going to get through this? I'm telling you, James Harden is going to be at live that night. <laughs> he, he's he's, he's, he's going to be at live. And, like, they are – they are. I agree with you. They're easily like, oh, one, two, three, Cancun t- type of team. And yeah. I, can, I can see them mailing it in. So, if I, – I think we both agree, and it's very, like – it's a very simple take. If Embiid isn't there – Miami's going to run away with the series. Also, don't sleep. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, their backup big man, he gives Embiid a ton of trouble. So, you know, again, Miami has the roster and the flexibility, I think, to really just match up really, really well against Philly. So, yeah, I think that the Embiid injury only furthers my confidence that Miami kind of rolls here. Yeah. There's Okay, so there's one more series left. And we talked about it earlier in terms of, like, the big price. But we have Mavs Suns. And so this should start on Monday. Um, mm-hmm. This start on Monday as well. Mavs get Luca. Obviously, Boyan misses the wide open three. Ends the series there. The Sun CP has literally a perfect game, and yeah, clo- and closes out and closes out New Orleans. The Suns are minus two seventy five to win this series. Mavericks are plus two twenty five. Do you think Dallas has a chance to upset Phoenix? Well, I hope so because I have a Mavs to win the West feature. I don't know. Though. I mean, I will say Dallas's defense has been, like, very impressive with, like, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, Reggie Bullock on the perimeter. I don't know if they could win. I think Dallas could hang. So let me let me go back. They went 0-3 against Phoenix this year, all games single digits. This reeks, of me, reeks to me like a very competitive – five, maybe six game series where like every game goes down to the wire, but Phoenix out executes Dallas because Dallas's late game offense is actually, I mean, it's like Luca based and stuff. And that's great. And he's amazing. And they'll hit his game winning shots. But, like game six, for example, like really bad last minute from Dallas's offense there. So like if that's a preview and I understand the jump from like Utah to Phoenix. So while I think Dallas may have the best player on the floor, I could totally see like three games being determined in the last minute where Dallas has like a disastrous possession where it's like Luca chucking up a 30 footer and then Phoenix comes back the other way. And it's like Chris Paul masterclass, like snaking a pick and roll and hitting a floater. So 
I think Dallas could be competitive. I think maybe from like an against the spread angle, maybe play Dallas at like, especially on the road at like these big prices. Cause like you could, I, I don't think it's like outland. I don't think it's crazy at all. It's like Luke, they have the best player on the floor. I think even with the bum calf, I think that's fine. So they can hang in these games. I just think late in games, like money line perspective and like to win the series, Phoenix might just out execute them like they did to New Orleans in the you know end of the fourth quarter. What do you yeah. think about that? I I I agree. I will say that for Phoenix, once again, you had a masterclass fourteen for fourteen performance from from Chris Paul. Um, so I mean that that gave him a boost. So I'm looking at the lines right now. So Phoenix is Phoenix is a six point favorite in game one, minus two forty on the money line. Uh, Dallas is plus one ninety five, and then the totals at two thirteen. I, I okay. I'm gonna start big picture in terms of series wise. One, I think everything that you said in terms of Dallas's late game execution is real, and yeah. I because and you saw it in game one when Luca wasn't there, and you saw it in game six, is that they kind of just say like, here Luca. Like, we're going to run one screen, get you whatever switch that you want, and then you're just going to dribble, dribble, dribble for 15 seconds and and dish the ball out to the corner in the last three, force somebody to take that three. It's either that or Lucas says, I'm tired. Brunson, you do it. And then now Brunson comes in, dribble, 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 wait for the screen, kicks. and It's and like prevent offense, kind of. Like, they're yeah. just, like, burning the shot clock. Yeah. They're not, so I'm, not, the I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of that, especially because, like, like I know, I know that they were like up, oh, but that game is still like close. You know, like yeah. you still have to run stuff. So with Phoenix, though, I think Phoenix can get this in five. I think peak Phoenix gets this in five. I just, yo, playoff Luca is something different, and he's mm-hmm. like, I think now that he's finally has his legs under him after a couple games, he, I'm gonna buy into Luca magic. And give them. I think I would if I had to buy a, a series price, it would be Suns and six. Because, but yeah. but I can I can very easily see this going in five because, like you say, Luca is the best player in the series. The Suns have the next three best players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like they they just have that, and then they then they also have the best perimeter defender in, in the series as well, Mikael Bridges. So you just see. Just after after you get past Luca, where is everything else gonna gonna go? Like, is Jalen Brunson gonna have a forty point game in this series? Probably not. So I would I would take Phoenix, but I think at this point you would have to start looking at like series spread to get a little bit of value because there's no there's like absolutely no value in minus two seventy five. Yeah, I agree. So let me ask you this: Who's more likely to win? Forget the odds. Like, who do you think? Like, first of all, I'd be very pumped to see a Warriors Suns. Western Conference Finals, I think that'd be sick yes. and just great basketball. But what do you, who, which upset would you see in the West? If you had to pick one, what do you think? In terms of like Warriors, Mavericks, Grizzlies, or Grizzlies who, who would, you, if you had to take one of them, um, three I, would, uh, I would take the Mavericks. I think, I think Golden State is just that much better than, than Memphis. And you just, bro, these last six games, the offensive execution late game is so bad, right? Like even when they were up four, Jaw taking that insane yeah. three and missing the whole rim, that those things just can't happen. They've started slow every single game. I just, I, 
I can't get on them um, as like an upset play. I think Golden State's just too – they're too veteran. They they have too much experience. They're too smart. They, they're just not going to lose. Yeah, I I could totally see a world, though, where the Mavericks are like up 3-2 going home. I, I don't know why. I just think when you have a guy like Luka Doncic, yeah. again, who knows what happens with Booker, CP3. You know, he's playing at such a high level, but we've seen him – kind of run out of gas in these postseasons. So, like, again, I'm not going to call the outright upset. I hope so because I do have a Mavericks future. But, I mean, again, I'm also kind of surprised that the Suns aren't getting a lot of credit. They must be really, you know, bank or at least concerned with Booker's hamstring and kind of if Phoenix could keep this up because I just – I'm shocked that the Mavericks are this short of a price. I thought they would have been much bigger. So, you know, maybe people are also counting on this Dallas – you know, run here. Also, just another thing for Dallas, something in their corner, their offense is so spread out and three-point reliant. Like, they could just get hot from three and just, like, blitz Phoenix off the floor. Like, Maxi Kleba, he does another seven three-pointer game. Like, that, like, swings a game. And all of a sudden, you're in this series and you have home court. So, it's just something to keep in mind that Dallas, I guess, has, like, the formula of, like, superstar player, could spread the floor, hit a bunch of threes. They play... They play pretty good defense. So Dallas has the recipe for an upset. Can they do it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure either. But I, I need that, a bigger price to take Dallas to win this series, though. I need closer to like plus 300, plus 350, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So you're so you're clearly the well, I guess not not clearly, but you have a feature on them. So you're gonna so you're gonna have them like you they're they're yeah. not a favorite. Oh, Mavs and six. I'll take Mavs and six. Okay, why not? Cool. I like I, I like. I need I need it's the too easy. It's too easy to do Phoenix and Golden State. Like I've been cut I in both of my handicaps, I was thinking like, are there ways to play Memphis and Dallas in these series? Or is it just gonna be like I guess it's a little contrarian to me, but like I just think it, it it's too predictable. Like it's too easy. I feel like these teams are getting a little almost I think Phoenix might not even be getting enough credit, but I think Golden State's getting a lot of credit. That like I'm not sure is necessarily deserved yet. So you're, we'll see. You're, you're big braining this. You're big. You're yeah, trying, I might you're be, to be big brain it. It's, it's I might gonna be Golden State. I might be. All right, we've come to the to the end of the show. We have two things left for you. I have a best bet. Reed has the best bet for tonight. We there's no NBA on, right? Uh, there's no hockey on. So Reed, where are you going for your best bet? Yeah, I'm doing Rob Font. He's in the main event, UFC tonight, facing Marlon Vera. Small favorite. He did miss weight yesterday. I wrote this up on Betside if you want more, but I wrote this up at a worse line, so you'd get him for even cheaper. Miss weight by two pounds, but, like, not changing my handicap. He didn't look like he was shaking up or anything. But basically, simple handicap. Rob Font, he's a contender, in my opinion, at bantamweight. He's coming off a loss to another contender in Jose Aldo. Meanwhile, Marlon Vera, he beat up on two guys ranked lower than him at now outside the top 10. So this is kind of like your classic buy low, sell high spot. Font, if he would have beaten Aldo and he was winning that fight early, he'd be like a crazy favorite in this. So like, I'm not going to overreact to one loss to a good fighter. So I'm going to take Rob Font. I think he gets this done. All right. I like that. I like that. I'm going to go to Major League Baseball with my bet. Here we go. We're going to go Red Sox minus one and a half against the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles, and we said it yesterday on, on Best of Lip, I am always down to fade bad offenses, and that is exactly what Baltimore is. Baltimore is 26 in OPS, 
29th in home runs per game, can't even get, you know, a little bit of juice to keep them in. They're 22nd in hits per game, and they're dead last in the league in runs per game. On top of that, they have, you know, they've lost five straight, haven't covered in, in any of them. And I know Boston's been up and down, and their record isn't fantastic. But if you look going coming into the, the Baltimore series, because they, they beat the Orioles 3-1 yesterday. They had 10 games, and seven of them were against the Toronto Blue Jays, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they've it's just tough. been playing Toronto. Yeah, it's kind of watered down their value a little bit. Yeah, they've, they've just been, been playing Toronto. So the Blue Jays are second in the, in the AL East. They are a very good team. So I think, you know, we're, we're getting a, a little bit of value. This is minus 110 right now. Yeah. So I, I, I'm really trusting uh, Boston to, to come in here and get a win. But that is all that we have for you guys today. Reed, it's been fantastic. Don't, don't forget. Weekend we'll, show. Yeah, little weekend show. Don't, be, don't forget we will be back tomorrow. Um, actually, I won't be here. Who's who's on tomorrow? Who, uh, Let's see who we got see? tomorrow. Tomorrow it's we'll Ben and like- Peter. Right, Ben yep. Ben Heisler, Peter Dewey will, will be holding down the fort uh, again. Bet and breakfast, new time, eleven a.m. Eastern, ten a.m. Central, and also don't forget every every weekday, Monday through Friday, daily bet slip. Same same kind of concept. We got two of our editors on here. We're going to be giving you guys plays for the night every single week. So for tonight and for the rest of the week, may all your bets hit, and hope you guys have a great day. Let's go. Thank you.